Morning, kids. Welcome to Sidebar Friday, July 26th, 2019. And the world is upside down as usual because the Donald's in the White House and he's disrupting the nation, disrupting the world. And, you know, I usually start this opening rant talking about what he's done this week that has raised the hackles on the back of my neck. But you know what? I've decided I'm going to focus instead of on the Donald on all the good things that happen in response to the Donald because uh, we've been through this before, gang. You know, if you're of a certain generation, you know that we have seen dark times in our communities history history over the years and every time it's happened we have pulled through stronger and more united than before and that's exactly what this period of time is it's a testing period to see how we all come together to fight for our lives and our right to love and so today we're going to be uh, our guests are all about doing the good thing out there uh, in response to the Donald, but you know it, beyond the Donald. Like the Donald's not even relevant to what they're doing. They're just doing the good, good, and walking the walk and talking the talk. So first up. Uh, we're going to have Christopher Dugo, the executive director of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Uh, he's in town today, and so we grabbed him to be in studio with me, uh, along with uh, David Charles Rodriguez, who is a producer and filmmaker. And the reason they're in town, it's Outfest here in Los Angeles this week, and they have their film tonight at the Ford Theater. The film is called Gay Chorus Deep South. It is a documentary about the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus uh, tripped into the Deep South to see the Deep South and to experience the Deep South and to you know do that as Californios and from you know San Francisco, one of the LGBT meccas of the nation. Contrast in culture, maybe maybe they found things in common. I don't know because I haven't seen the film and I didn't go with them on the trip. So we're going to be talking to Christopher Dugo and the filmmaker David Charles Rodriguez, who are both going to be in studio from the Bay Area. So thank you guys for coming in today. And then after we're done with them. One of my personal heroes, heroes, Richard Ayub. Richard uh, was a television executive, won Emmys. Uh, he was, you know, the brains behind Extra, Extra, and uh, did all sorts of television programming. And uh, but it wasn't enough. He wanted more, and so he started to volunteer. And he got on the board of directors of the Trevor Project, and he became one of the top fundraisers for AIDS Project Los Angeles annual marathon. And he was finding a way to make a difference in his community beyond just his job because the job job while it was fulfilling many in many aspects it did not fill everything and so he threw himself into volunteerism and and serving on boards and doing AIDS marathons and anything else he could do to help the community and eventually he just got the bite and the bug and decided to leave a very successful career in Hollywood to become the executive director of Project Angel Food here in Los Angeles, Project Angel Food, uh, amazing story. They started out because back in the horror days of the 80s, uh, people with HIV and AIDS were isolated alone and couldn't even feed themselves. They didn't have the resources or the money to even have three meals a day. So Project Angel Food was created to make sure that hot meals went out to those who were in need, who were sick and suffering with HIV and AIDS. And of course, now that uh, HIV and AIDS has become largely manageable, not uh, the epidemic's not over. Don't misread what I said. It's not over, but it, it's not the dire circumstances that we were facing in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, Project Angel Food has moved their mission over to help any of God's children in need who are suffering or sick and in need of three hot meals a day. And they just delivered their, ready for this, drum roll, 
12, thank you, Jason, drum roll, 12 millionth meal. They have delivered 12 million meals to people in need across the Southern California. To me, that that's you know much more important than the Donald could ever be. That's just incredible, the work that those people do over there. So we're going to have Richard on. And then finally, to cap off the show at the end, uh, we're going to have Rob Lester from the Men's Health Foundation. We've had Dr. Tony Mills on the show. He was here for World AIDS Day last December. This is his foundation, and they're continuing to do work around HIV, mental health, and other issues. So we're going to have Rob Lester, who's been involved with the programming, coming in. So last week, it was all women. This week, it's all men. We, you know, we try to shake it up and be co-gender here. We're a little male heavy this week, but the issues, you know, feeding people in need, uh, that's kind of everybody's issue, regardless of gender, identity, or sexual orientation, right? You are all about serving people in need. So that's what we got going. It's going to be a great lineup today. You know what? Don't let's not, let's promise let's promise each other this for the next two hours. Let's not think about the Donald at all. Let him tweet up into a storm of irrelevance, and continue to do what he does: obscure the truth and lie, and and try to feed his uh, oversized ego and undersized whatever. And uh, and let's not even think about him for two hours, and uh, instead focus on all the good going on in the world and in our community and here in our country in response to the cataclysm that he was. We are responding to it and fighting back. So, thanks for tuning in. Uh, We'll we'll be back uh, with uh, Chris Verdugo up next here on Sidebar with John Duran. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Billy. For you, Chris, (laughs) that is the village people bringing you in. San Francisco by the village people. I love that song. (laughs) Disco lives. I'm not aging you or anything, am I, Chris? (laughs) Oh, wow. Not at all. I mean. If you're just tuning in, we are here in studio. I mean, I think you were like 40 when that song came out, right? uh, Yes, (laughs) yes. Last week. Uh, No, uh, we are in studio with Christopher Dugo, the executive director of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, and David Charles Rodriguez, filmmaker of uh, Gay Chorus. Chorus Deep South, which is premiering tonight at Outfest. Welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you so Thanks much. for having us. So I'm so glad I got you to come in studio. I know you're here for like the the Buddha gag. Uh, the Buddha judge. You know, you've got to say it right. Oh, my God. Pete, he's kidding. Yeah, kidding. Yeah, well, I, you did yeah, that on purpose. Yes. I, I, I won't even tell you how else I screwed up his name. But that's not Buddha judge. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But um, you're also here for the premiere of this great film. Outfest has been wonderful all week. So we got people listening in 24 cities right now. What What is the film about? David, what is the film about? Absolutely. Uh, gay Chorus Deep South is about the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus and the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir doing an activist tour in the South where the you know the states with the most discriminatory laws in the books are. Mississippi, Alabama for names? Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, North and South Carolina. Oh, yeah. wow. There were eight, eight days, five states, 300 plus members 25 performances 25 for performances. them in concert halls and the rest of them in places of worship wow or in community centers when yeah. did this tour happen 
October 2017. I don't recall the exact dates now, but right. it was uh, like the first week of October. All right. So, David, you're, are, you, are you in the chorus or are you just the documentarian? No, I'm not in the chorus. No. Okay. Um, I learned about the story um, in the news and quickly fell in love with the story. And then when I met when I met them, I fell in love with the with the chorus and their community. And and we just had to make this movie. Yeah. I. You know, it's not lost to me. We have like three gay Latinos here on the microphones. This could be trouble. Yeah. Well, yes. I'm, I'm sorry to it, say that I am not gay. Oh, man. <laughs> Another one. Jason. Now we, got, oh, now we got two gay guys you, you, and two straight you, guys you, in the studio. You, I was about you, to be you, like, you just outed me. I know. I was about to be like, yeah, but it's really interesting that you say that. Cause, no, because, because, I think but, everybody's gay. No, you, know. you do. And Your we had that discussion. Off, oh, my God. This get are so off. Um, <laughs> we had this discussion last night. I was having this discussion with a few folks at the event last night. And I said, you know, I constantly remind myself, because I spent so much time with David and Bud and James and so you know and the crew and their family they're just family to me right. and just like the chorus is you know an extension of my family and I, remi- I have to remind myself sometimes I'm like oh yeah those guys aren't gay but I have to remind myself because it just doesn't matter in my life like I look at people I'm like I don't remember how you identify because like that's not what I see and, anymore and, and, but well, you're, yeah, you're old I mean, enough to remember the school the playground bully I mean the playground bully well yeah of course yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But I mean, I, so, and, and I, I want to wrap that up by saying what's extraordinary sometimes to me when I see this film is that I sit back and I grow, wow, a, a group of incredibly talented, sensitive, wonderful, straight men could see this like they could see into our world and 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 they created this film that transcends you know transcends gender and orientation and and all of those sort of um you know that entire context it just it's really about humanity um and what can happen and what can transpire in a space where people really pause and listen to one another um and share each other's life experiences. It's, I mean, it's it's the storytelling, you know, his storytelling is the storytelling that happened, you know, on the tour. And that's, I think, what makes it so beautiful. So I can't imagine a larger contrast than the values and traditions of San Francisco mm-hmm. and the Deep South. Did that come up? Yeah. That, I mean, that that's kind of the, the core thread of the film. That... that you know, in a, in a larger sense, that was the main reason why I wanted to work on this film. You know, even before meeting Chris in the chorus, I was really shook by the divisiveness of the country, you know, and the difference of values and, and the 2016 elections. Really, it's not that it didn't exist, but it surfaced it, right? It made it very crystal clear um, of the main issue that this country grows, goes through. And I thought the tour, you know, these incredible men singing these beautiful songs in the South was the, the the best way I saw at that moment to bring positive activism and to create some sort of dialogue and some sort of bridge. And what's interesting, and I'm not going to give it away, I hope you know everyone can come see the film tonight or, or when it's released later on, but... What ends up happening is that, you know, there are misconceptions on both sides, you know, that's usually the case. right? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, if we're able to judge our own judgment, we're going to find a way forward. So the artistic director, uh, Tim Selig, who is bigger than life, I think, is he Texan or from the South? He's got a draw. He's Texan. He's Texan. But, But I know part of his story that he had his own internal battle over his sexual orientation, his sexuality, and his religious upbringing. Yeah. So did that come up for some of the guys in the chorus, their own, like how they were raised within a particular religion and now being part of San Francisco and having to deal with those demons? Well, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that is, that's a big piece of the film, and, and Tim's story is sort of the anchor. Um, you know, we get to see a lot of this experience through his eyes, uh, which is truly powerful. I mean, David did sort of an incredible job of using three or four, uh, you know, three or four of our members, you know, who are in, who, who are in and of themselves characters, much like Tim Selig, mm. um, you know, and, 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 um, you know, and, and sharing this experience through their eyes and what, you know, what they're going through internally, their experiences from being either born in the South or being transgender um, or, you know, having a, a terminal illness. So it's the, 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 the film is rich and it is story upon story upon story. Um, and I think that's what resonates uh, so much with audiences ever since we premiered at Tribeca. That's amazing. We'll be back after this. More discussion with Chris Verdugo from the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus and filmmaker David Charles Rodriguez here on Sidebar with John Duran. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on and podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. That's actually a ditty from the Deep South, Chris. Oh not a San God. Francisco I was song. Like, that's not a San Francisco that's, song. Wherefore art thou, brother? That's pretty good. Yeah. Yes, that's a great, like, mm-hmm. the, the uh, something bottom boys. Soggy bottom boys. That's right. There we go. And not to be, not, not, so, uh, I have leave so it there. many. Leave nobody, it right there. Everybody at home, just fill in your punchline. <laughs> I, I came up with like 10 punchlines yeah, yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, sure. We only have four minutes. To let... Yeah. Let's go back to the film. Show the film. Tonight, uh, uh, we're San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. They some of them have flown down to sing tonight. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, about eighty to ninety singers have flown down. How many went to uh, the tour? Went on the tour. Uh, we had about two hundred and fifty, fifty members from the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. Uh, That's two a crews, lot. An entourage of on, major donors yeah. and board members, security that flanked all the buses, uh, armed security, unarmed security. Uh, uh, it was a lot of. Pe- we moved a lot of bodies over eight to nine days. Okay, now I just have to ask. I yeah. understand the reason for security because yeah. of the time we live but did you see anything threatening per se people in the south aren't threatening per se no a but weird a little uh, bizarre no but, but i mean we have you have to be i mean it's our job as you know the board of directors and right. it's our job to take care of you know our singers our patrons um and it was two weeks before the 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 tour happened i'm sorry two weeks three weeks after las vegas massacre oh. you know and shortly thereafter the orlando massacre and so we took every precaution because you can't take too many precautions right. um to answer your question you know, we, we had very, uh, our experiences, as you will see in the film, were not that. There was very little protesting, uh, right? I mean, what, yeah, what would no, you say to that, David? I mean, there was, that wasn't really the focus of the film, you know? Um, there were a lot of um, um, threats over the phone, you know? There That's were crazy true. phone yeah. calls, um, you know, the church where they performed towards the end of the film had a bomb threat, uh, right. so they had to yeah. sweep the church about an hour before the performance, and it was heavily armed um that's we, a great way to prove we, how christian you are by bomb we, threatening a church yeah, yeah. We, we we had a, we had an incident um where we were trying to film um 
this church that was not accepting um, and we got escorted out of the church by gunpoint. Um, so, you know, so there were moments, um, but nothing. And what vestry isn't armed and ready to go? I mean, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, and the head of security there was a former FBI agent, too, that wow. was guarding this this mega church. I mean, Elsa, <laughs> I mean, it's like when you ask that question and then you go, oh, yeah, there was that time yeah. and there was that time and there was yeah, that yeah. time. And the, and the film doesn't focus on well, that. Yeah, no, here's here's the thing, and, and, and this comes up a lot. Um Ninety percent of the moments were so profound and so beautiful and so positive, and ten percent were that, and that's that's the truth. But yeah. what usually happens in film, especially in the news, is that they get that ten percent, yep. and then they blow it up, and that's they make the salacious it, part, and they make yeah, it ninety yeah. percent. Yeah. Well, what which we, is why I mean, David tells us. I'm not going to speak for you, David. You can speak no, for yourself. Please. But David said, you know, part of the reason he chose to do this film is because he was hearing all this yak, yak, yak. You know, this banter, this candor coming out of the media, and he's like, is that really true? Like, is that do people yeah. really feel that animosity and that hatred and that angst in the South? Um, and yeah, and, because in the end of the day, gay, straight from the South, from the coast, liberal, Republican, we all want the same things, right? We want family, we want love, you know, we want you know just to have a comfortable, happy life, you know, and 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 that's ninety percent, you know, and then there's ten percent of these other people and they're just getting way too much attention. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, I and wish power. if the media and power and power, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And power. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, but they're getting power because they're getting attention. Yeah. The media you know? definitely likes to focus more on the negative than the positive. So yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. We had uh Del Shores last week on and Del's the mind oh, yeah. brain behind sorted lives and all of his uh, films have been about the South and being Amazing. gay and in the South. And so, so it was really interesting because of course to him, all of his relatives were just quirky. It was just everything. Everybody was pretty queer in the South, right? It's the South. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, yeah yeah, 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 pretty quirky. But uh, he, I think, his point was that they're not necessarily hateful. But you know, sometimes the sharpest shrieking voices are the ones that get amplified, mm-hmm. in, especially in social media. And in 24-hour news cycles, yeah. Oh. yeah, I'm really excited for you to see the film tonight, I, and, I and you know, draw your own conclusions. But I think David and and his team really do a, a fantastic job of um, really honing in and, and and shining a light on what's possible. So I struggled with like, what is the how, how do I encapsulate this film for me when I'm speaking to people about it? And um, it was actually in a conversation with Kristen Chenoweth that we were chatting, and she told me one of her favorite Rumi quotes and I was and it resonated with me I said that's it that's what the film's about and it says Rumi there's a Rumi quote um, where he says somewhere between the idea of right and wrong there is a garden I will meet you there and that's exactly what the film's about we found that space in the middle and then we got together and started having conversations and sharing music and sharing stories and sharing life experiences and the film is about what's possible in that space and that's why I think it resonates and why I think it's so beautiful and I am so grateful to David and his team and of course Airbnb who funded this whole project for people who can't be at Outfest tonight where can they get more information about the film Um, yeah so uh, if they go to gaychorusdeepself.com, we're constantly updating. We're in over 80 festivals around the world, and we're constantly updating the tour dates of the festivals. Um, and then uh, on Instagram as well, Gay Chorus Deep South, and Facebook as well, just Gay Chorus Deep South. Okay. We're constantly updating, and um, you know, we're just thrilled that we're able to bring this story to, to everywhere. 
Okay. And, and it's playing at over 60 festivals so far, so yeah, check no, we're, out, because it might be in your backyard. Yeah, and, and, and so far, we've already won 14 audience awards and grand oh, jury prizes. Yeah. And, Fantastic. And, and, and it's just, you know, it's not the award itself, but it's just proof that it's really resonating with all audiences from every type of festival that you can imagine. Guys, breaking nail tonight. I'll see you there. I will be sitting in the... I expect a shout-out from you, Mr. Virgilio. <laughs> I expect a shout-out for me. I'll, I'll I, make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, no? I, I know. I know. I noticed the way you sort of name-dropped Tristan Chenoweth there without skipping a beat, by the way. Don't think that passed by me. Uh, all right, I knew guys. that would get you. <laughs> when we come back, Richard Ayub from Project Angel Food. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Thanks, John. Tour. Thank you. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Calling all angels, the incredible Katie Lang, because we've got an angel on the show now. We've got Richard Ayub, the, exec- wow. the executive director of Project Angel Food. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. So, you know, there are people listening all over the country, and many people probably don't know what Project Angel Food is or how it got started. So, why don't you tell us? Okay, good. In uh, 1989, Marianne Williamson, who... Running for president. She's running for president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She... Um, was encountering a lot of her friends dying of AIDS. And she said, these are human beings. They need to be treated like human beings. And she worried about them getting food and nourishment in their final days. So she started this project called Project Angel Food, which would cook meals in a church at the corner of Fountain and Fairfax. In lovely West Hollywood. In lovely West Hollywood. That's where our roots are. And it was 100% volunteer. Mm. They would cook upstairs at the church, and then downstairs there were meetings for recovery programs. Mm. And so in the early days, and even to today, a lot of people from recovery are very involved with Project Angel Food. Wow, so part of their service to community, the 12-steppers, they end up delivering meals. Absolutely. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, one of the first volunteers was this guy, Larry Fortensky. He would set up tables <laughs> for my, us. My millennial doesn't know who Larry Fortensky <laughs> is, I know. do you? You don't know, know who well, Larry... Educate me. Tell me. <laughs> he's, about, he's about to drop the bomb on him. Yeah, so Close Larry, Larry Fortensky would uh, set up these tables for us to pack the meals mm. and on the steps there was this beautiful woman his wife Elizabeth who would be smoking cigarettes now that Elizabeth Fortensky was her name for a while but her real last name is Taylor so Elizabeth Taylor uh, that was her husband please tell me you've heard of Elizabeth <laughs> I've heard of Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Everyone listening has listened, has heard of Elizabeth Taylor. And, of course, she was a star in the HIV and AIDS community. She's the one that pushed Congress. She went to the Hill when, you know, a lot of faces of AIDS were gay men who were dying. Congress and the president didn't care. And then suddenly, superstar Elizabeth Taylor showed up. 
changed the whole dynamic. Absolutely. Her friend Rock Hudson got AIDS, and that is what propelled her into this lifelong mission. And so she was there from the very beginning with us, and there at every single milestone, there was a point in the 90s when we were getting an influx of people with AIDS, and we weren't getting the funds. And we were debating, should we shut down or not? And one of our founders went to Elizabeth. I didn't expect this to be an Elizabeth Taylor interview, but you know, she's, she's part of the story. She's right? part of the story. Yeah. He, uh, David Kessler, who oh, you know, lovely David, went to Elizabeth in 1993 and said, "We are being offered to be absorbed by a bigger organization in LA. We really don't want to do it. We want to keep independent." He got a check for $100,000 from her foundation to keep Project Angel Food independent. That's amazing. You guys hit a milestone this week. What's your milestone? 12 million meals. 12 million meals. Wow. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of volunteers. That's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. 80% of of that kitchen on Vine Street in Hollywood is volunteers. To this day, volunteers make up the important work that we do. And when you think about 12 million, it's each one is individually packed and put together. It's not mass production. It's one at a time. That's so cool. What's that? So treat people who are sick with dignity. Now, today, uh, the AIDS is not the cruel, savage thing that it was like in the 80s and early 90s. But there's still a lot of people out there with illness and chronic conditions. So, so we, we expanded our mission in 2004. It's like the AIDS community's gift to all of Los Angeles now. So anyone who is sick, hungry, and needs our help, we provide free medically tailored meals to them. So it's people living with HIV, people with heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, all forms of cancer and kidney failure. And John, you know better than most that each of these meals are medically tailored to their illness. Wow, that's amazing. So if you have renal disease, which is kidney failure, you can't have a lot of potassium, phosphorus, or sodium and our meals are tailored to that. Wow. So like one day I saw the chefs putting these potatoes in the sink for 30 minutes. I said, what in the world is going on there? They said, we have to leach out the potassium. Oh, wow. Because it's for our wow. renal clients. It, there's a lot of science to what we do. You guys, I know you raise millions of dollars every year from fundraisers, foundations, but I think in terms of the ratio of the cost of running the organization versus client services, you're extraordinarily good. Like some extraordinary, what's the ratio that goes It's to? 84 cents out of every dollar goes directly to the food delivery program. See, that's amazing that 84 cents of every dollar goes into giving hungry people food. Absolutely. That's amazing. And we work very hard to keep that ratio there. Yeah. You know, we obviously want to take care of our people, uh, our people who work for us, but we also want the donor to know that their money is well spent. When we come back, more with Richard Ayub and Project Angel Food here on Channel Q. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Modelo. If you've persevered through, 
you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Marilee, just call me Angel because we are all about angels this morning. And we've got uh, Angel in studio, as I said. Richard Ayub, the executive director of Project Angel Food. Richard, thanks again for coming by. Thank you, John. You know, we were talking about the incredible work that Project Angel Food does and 12 millionth meal and number of people they take care of. But I think part of this, what's interesting to me anyway, as the host of the show, is your journey. Because I know a little bit about your history. You started out in Hollywood television, right? Right, and absolutely. You, you won Emmys, two Emmys, I think. Absolutely, yeah. You've done some I, research. I did a little homework on you, babe. I did a little homework on <laughs> good. you. Good, <laughs> wow. That's why you're such a good yeah. host. Yeah, and you were a producer. I think Extra was one of yes. your shows. Uh, extra, Extra. Yeah. See, I can even do the, the jingle. <laughs> <laughs> I can even do the jingle. So you had this very successful Hollywood career and doing all this television and winning Emmys. And then you left all that. <laughs> to run a nonprofit organization. What what happened on the road to Damascus? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's uh, pretty close to my uh, background. I'm Lebanese, so. Oh, he's Lebanese. Are you Lebanese? You're having a Lebanese. Oh, my I, God. Habibi. Uh, my parents are from Lebanon. <laughs> eh, voila. Wow. <laughs> having a Lebanese takeover uh, <laughs> but we have to also give credit to my mother she's Mexican so okay All right. she, that's my part of the family yeah <laughs> exactly La Raza <laughs> so uh, my mother was very influential in in instilling philanthropy in me as, at a young age. I'll tell you just a very quick story. When I was 10 years old, I asked for a new pair of sneakers. I didn't need them, but I wanted them because my uh, peers were getting new ones. So she said, okay, let me take you in the car. She took me in the car. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. Hmm. And she went right past the shopping center. Then she kept going into Mexico. Juarez. Juarez, Mexico, mm-hmm. into the border. She went past the shopping center there. She kept going until she went to the garbage dump. And she went deep into the dump. And she showed me where people were living in cardboard shacks. Oh, my God. That How was old were you when this happened? Ten years old. Oh, my God. Wow. And so at that moment, I said to my mom, Mom, but how can I help all of them? And as a young kid, it made me think, how can I help other people? Mm. So as a 19-year-old, I was watching TV news in El Paso, and there was this gymnast, Pam Lee, not the Baywatch babe, but Pam Lee, (laughs) the West Texas Tornado. And she was in El Paso, and she was an elite-level gymnast, but didn't have enough money to go to the Olympics. And I, as a teenager, decided I'm going to help her go. And so I got bankers, city council members, all these people together, and we started the Pamley Olympic Committee. We started raising money for her to go. And the last thing we did was we got the Ad Federation of El Paso to pick this as their charity event for the year. So that meant we were going to get billboards, radio, television, newspaper, everything. That was before the internet, Jason. Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> the millennials always do that. What? It was life before the internet? Exactly. Before cell phones, the whole thing. So... Um, that 
day, once we found out that she was going to be set, we were going to get all the money she needed, we were going to bring her coach in, everything, she retired. Mm. Mm. She was 14 years old, and I think it was fear of success. Wow. Because up until that point, it wasn't an option. Right. But... It also taught me how to ask for money. Yeah, how to at not, nineteen. At nineteen. At nineteen, years you old. were organizing community around a cause outside of yourself. That's amazing. And so I got into television news. I was producing television news in El Paso, in Tucson, Orlando, then Los Angeles. And my goal was to give a voice to the underdog and to make a small difference in my small part of the world. And as my world kept getting bigger, the difference kept getting smaller. Mm. And so, fast forward, I, I was on the board of Trevor Project. Trevor Project I know that. You were a big years. fundraiser for AIDS Project LA's annual marathon. Absolutely. Uh, you, you were doing all that philanthropy? I was doing all that philanthropy on the side while I worked for TV shows like Extra. I even worked for uh, Hard Copy for a while. Mm. And I uh, worked for the film McGraw family, and we started an entertainment website. Um, but I got a phone call about four years ago from a board member at Project Angel Food, Bobby Ralston. Mm-hmm. I think you know him. I do. He's our board chair now. And he said, Richard, we're having a change in leadership. And I had this epiphany when I was in Brazil that we need someone just like you to run Project Angel Food, even temporarily. Uh, you know everyone, and if you don't know them, you know how to get to them. <laughs> and you You're know, not shy. <laughs> I'm not shy. <laughs> and you know how to tell the story. Yeah. And so when you get a call like that, and it's always been your calling, it's hard to say anything but yes. It was a calling. It was a calling into service. That's yeah. amazing. Literally a calling into service. Wow. And I'm just amazed that the board of directors said, yeah, we're going to hire this producer to run Project Angel Food. <laughs> so uh, in that time, in that three and a half years, we have increased the amount of people we serve by 30%. We have increased our budget from $3.8 million to $6.3 million, You've doubled is, your budget. That's amazing. And How many people are you serving each month? We're serving 1,400 people a day. A day! And with our new budget that we just approved, we're going to increase it to 1,700 a day by the end of June of next year. There's a story in here about Jesus and the fish and the loaves, right? <laughs> you know, I give you a basket with two fish and five loaves, and you feed 1,700 people a day. 1,700 by the end of this fiscal year, Yes. And, you know, these are all people who are home. They're sometimes forgotten. They're the invisible people of L.A. Because they can't leave their homes. They're bedridden and don't leave home. So this visit from a volunteer is their contact with humanity. And each of those volunteers gets to be of love and service in that person's life. There's just so much goodness flowing out of uh, you. And now I got like every hair on my arm is standing up right now just about how incredible that is. That's a beautiful thing. It's very heartwarming. I um, I visited just earlier this week. I went and delivered meals to some of our clients on our congestive heart failure program, which is funded by the state. It's a pilot mm. to show that our meals can bring down health care costs. Right. Now, I'm concerned about that as a taxpayer, but as a human being i'm happy that we're also improving their quality of life absolutely so i visited a client who is 60 years old 
He has congestive heart failure. He has grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he says that because of our food, he doesn't miss salt because it's a very low-salt diet. And sometimes he forgets that he's even sick because he feels so well on some days. So mama's lesson about walking in the Nike shoes of another started a <laughs> lifetime of love and service. Mama, mama, Norma. I love that. And yeah. they still in El Paso, Texas? Yeah. My mother passed away, but I know that she would be very proud of me. She would be. She would. Yeah. I lost my mom two years I know ago, you too. Did. And, and so, but they're still watching and still yeah. talking. Yeah. I can hear it. I, mijo, why? <laughs> I, mijo, why? That's what my mother called me, mijo. <laughs> I know. I she know. also called me the king. The king is coming. She, <laughs> I was coming from Hollywood, the king. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you here. Will you come back again? Maybe. Absolutely. Maybe you can come back and bring a volunteer or two. Oh, I would love meals and we can hear firsthand what it's like to knock on someone's door and bring them hot food that would be fun we have some volunteers who are very very committed yeah i would that would be great to have them join you next time we'll, we'll do that that would be great gang thank you richard Ayu, project angel food when we come back uh, rob lester from the men's health foundation here on channel q we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's better over here only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. You too. It's a beautiful day. We're all about people who are being of love and service in their community. And uh, next up here is Rob Lester from the Men's Health Foundation. Welcome, Rob. Thank you so much for having me on, John. Yeah. So tell people who are listening all over the country and maybe don't know about Dr. Tony Mills or Men's Health Foundation. Tell us a bit about your organization and what you do. Sure. So uh, Dr. Tony Mills, who was, I believe, on your show recently. He was. World AIDS Day. Yep. Um, is uh, started providing HIV services in Los Angeles about 20 years ago um, in 1998. Um, and he, for a long time, he ran a private clinic. And he wanted to be able to expand uh, the services he provided to people who might not have private insurance, who might not have like a steady payer source. And so we started a foundation, a nonprofit called Men's Health Foundation. And through Men's Health Foundation, we work with um, work with low-income people, people who don't have access, who don't have health insurance, and um, try to make sure they have access to the same high-quality health care that you would get uh, if you were in a private practice. That's really important because that that can make the difference. You know, during the height of the AIDS epidemic, uh, I, I've been HIV positive for a long time, way back since the '80s. Mm-hmm. But I had two cousins uh, who did not have health insurance, and I'm still here, and they're not. They're not because they didn't have access to care. Yeah, that having access to to stable care is such a tremendously important piece of it. Um, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act about 10 years ago, Obamacare, you know, we've really made a lot of progress on that, but there's still a lot of work to be done in making sure that people have sort of stable, steady, consistent access. So the people who walk into your clinics, tell me about them. Are they all ages, all demographics, or who walks into your clinics? Sure. So our main clinic is located in West Hollywood. So um, it's a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of uh, uh, white and Latino MSR uh, gay and bisexual men. Um, we have a small, a few number, a few uh, trans women who receive services there. We also have a location in South LA. Um, we opened it about a year ago. It's a community center. We provide some medical services there. Uh, we also do like a lot of social events. Uh, try to find ways to uh, 
try to find ways so that there's some social space for the young gay and bisexual men in the community. Um, historically, South LA hasn't had a lot of really great medical services. Right. And when they have had it, it's been either for sort of targeted towards either um, towards straight black people. And so for the gay, um, gay and bisexual men of color, it hasn't always been a really welcoming environment. Got it, got it. So you're stepping into that vacuum and providing services. Cool. Yes. And they walk in, and obviously they don't have, I'm guessing, don't have insurance. Right. So by default, then what do they rely on? They look for emergency rooms as a primary source of care, or? Yeah, um, if they're, young guys tend not to be linked into care at all. Right, because so, they think they're indef- indef- I can't even say the word, indefigatable. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Nothing can beat them. <laughs> right, right. Uh, definitely. Um, so if it's their first time engaging in care, so maybe they've only been receiving you know, periodic HIV tests or you know, something like that, um, but they want to get more involved in their health care, um, depending on their particular circumstances, we can link them to uh, public health insurance, public health coverage, uh, maybe do something through Covered California, which is the uh, California Obamacare marketplace, um, or just we provide free services. Um, we work, the back end is kind of complicated, but we try to make it just as clear and transparent for the guys on the front end. So they just come in, receive services, and then they can go on their way and have a be happy and and uh if somebody's on the down low especially in communities mm-hmm. of color that's not a barrier i assume no, you're not, not going to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or identity or absolutely yeah. not yeah that's really really cool you have a southern drawl you have a, a, <laughs> an accent in there that you're like trying to prevent from getting out where, where yeah. did you come from uh i was born in arkansas i lived there for about the first 20 years and then uh i escaped to dallas um, <laughs> the big city yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and i was in texas for about 10 years wow. so a little bit of southern draw a little bit of texas twang yeah, I, I sensed it there. I, and I sensed you trying to keep it out of your voice. I'm like, oh, no, we're dragging this out. We're dragging this out. That's amazing. How long have you been in Los Angeles then? I moved to L.A. in tw- uh, 2010. I wow. uh, came out here for grad school. Um, I had wanted to do work with the HIV community, um, so I was looking at a few different uh, places to go. Um, New York seemed, like, temperature-wise, a very cold place for someone from texas yes um, yeah or <laughs> really, arkansas yeah yeah it really didn't even have a coat um and uh i'd been in la a few times had some friends out here i thought it was a great place um also there's a lot of work there's a lot of potential to be done uh working with hiv in the community here so um it all came together in a really great way that's awesome when we come back more from rob lester and the men's health foundation thanks for tuning in to us here on channel q It's one thing falling in love with a house, and quite another navigating the world of negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. Guidance from an agent who's a Realtor can make all the difference, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Okay, my millennial, who's that? I feel good. James Brown. Oh, thank God you knew. I was going I was Oh, you even knew the scream. I feel good. <laughs> I feel so much better knowing that you knew who James Brown was. <laughs> We're in studio uh, with Rob Lester from the Men's Health Foundation. And uh, Rob, before we took the break, uh, we talked about the fact that you come from Arkansas, then through Texas to here. Now, when you were in Arkansas, were you raised in a devoutly religious family in the South? Or what? what's your story? Uh Relative to the South, we were not at all devoutly re- religious. Okay. Um, we went to church a few times uh, a year. Um, Little Methodist. Rock or small town? or 
Uh, I was born in a little town in North Arkansas that had about now has about nine hundred people. Okay, um, wow, that is a little yeah. Town. When I was when I was born there, it was much bigger. It had eleven hundred people. Um, <laughs> wow. And then uh, <laughs> I think when I was in third grade, we moved to a town called Searcy, which is kind of a suburb, exurb of Little Rock. Okay, um, so because because I'm, I'm always fascinated. I mean, people who are drawn into service, and I know that before you worked for the Men's Health Foundation, you shared with me you were working doing homeless services, and so sure. you're drawn into a life of service obviously helping others that came from somewhere right that that came from somebody saying something that resonated with you as a teen or a child yeah i think uh, part of it is that um my grandmother was uh very devout and there's a long tradition of social activism in the methodist church and then um when i was about 20 i moved to dallas and like a lot of young gay kids who find themselves newly in an urban environment um i partied a lot i did you know, feasting all the all the all the tasty things of life. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Right. <laughs> Me uh, too. We've talked about it on the show before. Me too. <laughs> we survived, yeah. and it was a great experience. But you know, towards the end, it wasn't very meaningful, and I was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And um, you know, I was real fortunate because I had a supportive family and a lot of resources I could draw upon. And so, once I decided that's not what I wanted to do, I was able to to take myself out of that environment and go and make a huge change. Um, a lot of the guys I knew back in Dallas weren't able to do that, um, you know, because they didn't have resources, they didn't have family support, you know, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and part of what I wanted to do after I left was to make sure that the ability to get out of, the ability to find resources to put your life how you want it to be, whether it's getting in care for HIV or PrEP or substance abuse treatment or whatever it is, that that's not contingent upon having, you know, a supportive family with lots of family resources Mm, mm. you know i thought it was kind of a i didn't think it was a very fair way to to make life to operate in life yeah the guys who walk into your clinic uh i I know they're primarily gay and bisexual Mm. men but since they're showing up and without health insurance Mm. and probably living in poverty are a lot of them coming from small towns or showing up fresh in los angeles or uh, from families who may have rejected them, or is there a backstory with the type of people coming into Men's Health Foundation? I mean, obviously, everyone who comes in has a backstory, um, and they're really diverse in that respect. Um, from what I've seen working in LA, a lot of the kids, a lot of the people who come from small towns out west, um, the young guys who come to LA are more likely, they tend to have really difficult circumstances and oftentimes wind up homeless. Um, it can be a really horrible, really difficult situation transition to make to come to LA without any resources. Yeah. I mean, it's at one point I think the county of Los Angeles is estimating forty percent of their youth identified as LGBT. I've heard that, yeah. That's a startling statistic yeah. to have that high of young people, uh, almost half coming from the LGBT community and living on the streets where they're probably subjecting themselves not only to hunger but to STDs, to HIV, to addiction and then the mental health mm-hmm. consequences that can come from living on the edge. Like that. Yeah, um, that plus survival sex um, and then you've got guys or people who they're doing drugs because when you do if you're doing crystal you stay awake and that's one of the ways you can stay safe on the streets is by not being asleep right um so yeah that's a really toxic combination of factors that go into that wow that is amazing and well i mean literally thank god that you guys are there to intervene in all of that that's amazing your website you have a website or a a place where people can go get more information yeah absolutely uh men's health foundation's website is uh mhfoundation.org 
Okay, like men's health, mhfoundation.org. Got it. As simple as it can be. Okay, great. Would you please give my love to Dr. Tony Mills and to Stephen Guy and all the other guys who are doing the good work along with yourself? It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for having me, John. When we come back, we'll be the final rant, and I think that rascal, Jared Hill, may uh, may pop in to say hello. So thanks for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang, and the closing moments of Sidebar today. So here's the thought for the day, all right? So um, I think I've shared with many of you on the air in the past that I participate actively in a 12-step program, keep myself healthy and sober. And uh, the thought for the day from my 12-step program is, when we come to the end of our lives on Earth, we will take no material thing with us. We will not take one cent in our cold, dead hands. The only thing that we may take are the things that we have given away. If we have helped others, we may take that with us. If we have given our time and money for good, we may take that with us. Looking back over our lives, what are we proud of? Not what we have gained for ourselves, but what few good deeds we have done. Those are the things that really matter in the long run. What will I take with me when I go? That is the meditation for the day. Oh, that is the meditation for the day. And, and now Jared Hill has just walked in as I'm reading. He's he's going to preach gospel with me here. Well, or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> we had a, a great show, Jerry. We had all these people who have been in love and service. I decided not to talk about the Donald for two hours. Like, you know, I'm not going to talk about the it's Donald. It's so funny you thought that you said that because I thought to myself, could we do like a Trump-free Friday? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what, so funny. That's what I did. And so we had uh, Chris Verdugo uh, and uh, David Charles Rodriguez from the San Francisco Game chorus uh-huh. on our film Gay Chorus Deep South which nice. is at Outfest tonight and then Richard Ayub who runs Project Angel Food delivering uh, what do you say 15,000 meals 1,200 meals a day yeah, oh my gosh something to really people big like who that. are hungry Wow. and then Rob Lester who's doing uh, a lot of HIV work with homeless populations especially all the LGBT youth who are okay. homeless it was very just, nice like all these people doing good I love in that in the middle of Trump world that, I was going to say that's a great way to counter anything to do with that man whose name we don't want to say we don't want to say I, I just exactly. call it the turd. A turd. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah. The orange turd, if I yeah, feel like I was, being I was, expressive. I was writing an article this morning that I have to turn in later today. And, you know, Trump as a verb, like for when something trumps something, I was like, I'm not using that word anymore. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to a whole other way to write that now. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's going to have a whole new meaning by the time this guy finishes oh his term. Gosh, it already does for yes. me. Like, I just can't say it. I can't either. Yeah. I have yet to. I don't refer to him as the president. I just. I, really? I don't. I don't. I, so, I'm. The Donald. That's what I call him. Yeah. The, the Donald. I, I cringe every time I do it, but I do call him the president because I feel like uh, it's important for me at least, and I get everyone looks at it differently, but like it's important for me to always remember like the position of power that he's in when I'm yes, like- Yes, and that he's abusing. Exactly. He and Mike exactly. Pence both. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What are you and Allie doing in the next uh, show? We've got a whole lot going on. So um, we have, <laughs> we're just discussing some of the stories that we're talking about on the show today. There's like this child prodigy um, that CNN and just sent out the story about who is six years old and just bought an $8 million home. Um, they're like a YouTuber wow. and we're like, what, what is going on? And we're talking about, I hate child prodigies, like, <laughs> but it's primarily based in jealousy. Yeah, like I'm like, course. I wanted to be a child prodigy. Why wasn't I one? Um, so we'll talk about that. And then we've got a couple of political stories. We actually are going to talk about um, the Trump administration and um, you know, just like the latest craziness coming out of there. But also, you know, uh, there's there was this uh, the 
the veto that went up that happened on the day of the Mueller um, report that they he vetoed this uh, bipartisan bill that was coming out where they were going to be um, stopping sell the sale of uh, arms to Saudi Arabia. And, right. Um, so that's happened. There's a lot of different things going on. Well, we'll Donald's got about. real estate deals going on with the Saudis, so he's got to make exactly. good with his real estate partners. Exactly. This is all and about money. For how the that's Donald. not an emoluments clause problem, I don't know. I, uh, you know, he. What I could tell people is he never expected to win. He, Absolutely. He was going to run and figure out how to make money out of it. You can it look at the look on his face the show. night of the election and it, see he it, was like, what the hell is going that, on? That was the same look I had. <laughs> exactly, right. Most <laughs> exactly. of America did. The yeah, same so. look, like, oh my God. Yeah, man, yeah. Look. Yeah, it's just so sad and pathetic to watch. Did you see the thing with the emblem, the presidential seal? Yes, I actually oh, loved that. I thought that was Jason? delicious. It was amazing. Apparently, it was a disgruntled Republican. I saw that, yeah. Who created it. If, you're, if you don't know what we're talking about, gang, the presidential seal was doctored, and instead of the eagle, the United States had the double-headed bird of Mother Russia. Yes. And instead of e pluribus unum, out of many one, yes. in Spanish it said 45 is un titita, 45 is a puppet. It's a puppet, right. Spanish, which I love. I thought that was great. <laughs> so uh, between that and, uh, you know, Mueller has said that, you know, we should be looking out for Russia and how they're going to be coming up in the next election. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Senate is blocking, you know, different That's protections McConnell. for that. That's so, McConnell. We got, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much treachery going on. That's yes. so disturbing. So. Then completely unrelated to that, yeah. um, there's like this big petition going around to move Halloween. What? Which is wild, right? It's like, why do we care about that? But like, there's a petition saying that we should move Halloween to be the last Sunday, of, the last Saturday of October, as opposed to like falling on a Wednesday night. And I'm like, I'm totally for that, and Allie's totally against it. So we'll talk about. <laughs> I don't see that, that ever happening. I don't think that's ever gonna happen. I don't know. I feel like it would be so much better. Like, who wants to go to a Halloween party on a Monday night? Yeah, you know well, what I mean. I, I have. You have, right? I mean, <laughs> West Hollywood, exactly. Just yeah, take off Tuesday morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm totally here for this idea. Yeah, <laughs> I love the idea of that. I so. guess I agree with Allie because there's tradition. I mean, this is All Hallows Eve. It yeah. is the night before All Saints Day, which is November first, and the ancient church thought it was the night between <sighs> the living and point. the dead, and you know, the, the veil was especially thin and. I don't know. Fine, John. You win the <laughs> argument. Allie, I'm with you I'm on this one. I'm sold. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, yeah, you talked me into it. That was that was a hard drive. So, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I get for practical reasons so yeah, why yeah, you yeah. want to have it that way. I mean, other holidays move. Like Thanksgiving is always the fourth Thursday. It's exactly. It's exact date. Exactly. Val- but Valentine's Day is immovable. Yeah, February yeah. 14th. Right, so. What do you have going on this weekend? I'm doing Outfest. Yes. And tonight, I'm going to go see the premiere of Gay Chorus Deep South, which yeah. is the story of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus venturing into Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee and nice. having that culture conflict occur. I love that. Yeah, very so cool. Looking forward to it. That's at the Ford Theater. Awesome, awesome. Well, Drop the Subject will be coming up after you guys here, so I'm going to run and get ready for that with Allie. All Thank right. you for having me. Oh, come out, come all the time. Of course, of course. Be sure, don't turn that station. Listen in to Jarrett and Allie. They're coming up next. Uh, drop that subject. And uh, as you can see, there's already going to be a battle about Halloween. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Gang, have a great week. Uh, it's been great being here with you all. Thanks for tuning in. And have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on Sidebar here on Channel Q.